Hello, and welcome to this new edition of the Fujay podcast. We'll talk about Tornado VM, which allows you to run Java code on CPUs, GPUs, and FPGAs. Welcome to the Fujay podcast, all your news about OpenJDK. Today, we're talking about the Tornado VM project. It's a programming and execution framework for offloading and running JVM applications on multi-core CPUs, GPUs, and FPGAs. With the same code, some of your existing programs can be executed hundreds of times faster. Now we're going to go and introduce the guests. Yeah, hello. Uh, my name is Juan Fumero. I'm a research fellow at the University of Manchester, working on compilers, programming models, and runtime system for heterogeneous hardware. So I joined the University of Manchester back in 2017, late 2017, right after I finished my PhD, and I joined directly in the Tornado VM team. Since then, I have been working on Tornado VM as a, well, now I'm the, one of the main committers of the project, and I also doing some work in the software architecture in combination with Thanos and Christos. I uh, have experience, uh, around more than 10 years experience working around GPU compute for diverse compilers, C, C++, by compilers with OpenACC, and then I jumped to Java. Uh, back in 2013. I did my PhD in, in the Java side, and I did something similar with Tornado VM does. Uh, it's kind of the, the father of Tornado, in some way, uh, the precursor of Tornado VM. In my PhD, I focus not only on Java, also other JVM-based languages for R and Ruby to run on, on GPUs as well. And since then, well, I have been sticking with, with the Java side. Hello, my name is Chris Kozelidis, and uh, I'm an associate professor at the University of Manchester and also chief uh, engineer at KTM. I have been doing research on Java and Java Visual Machine for more than 15 years, uh, mainly on uh, compilers and uh, memory optimizations at the various levels of um, the JVM. And um, I'm leading the Eternal VM project from the beginning, which is almost eight, nine years uh, now. Throughout the years, we've been developing and uh, improving Toronto VM and trying to help developers uh, get the maximum performance they can get out of uh, the Java Visual Machine. And in my past life, I've been working at Oracle and Intel uh, on the hardware and compilers, um, and I will continue that work now at the University of Manchester. Hello, I'm Thanos Tadikopoulos. I'm a research associate at the University of Manchester, and uh, I have joined the Tornado VM team four years ago. My expertise is mostly on uh, the field programmable gate arrays, FPGAs. So my, in my PhD, I used FPGAs for uh, accelerating storage. My experience in Java and compilers is also coming from the time that I started the Tornado VM work. And I have done some work also with um, insta instances in the cloud for uh, hardware acceleration of uh, different Java applications. Yeah, my name is uh, Jakob Jemko. I'm a Java developer since 1999 and a Java champion. And I've been interested in performance optimization since I was doing uh, assembly language programming on the Amiga 500. So uh, it's been a few years. A couple of years ago, uh, Tornado VM popped up on my radar and I found it very interesting. And then I think some sometime this year, or was it actually, it was late, late last year, it popped mm -hmm. up again. And uh, some of the things that I was missing uh, the first time I saw it was now implemented. So I thought it was it was about time to, to have a look at Tornado VM again. So that's why I'm here mostly as a, as a guest and as a, an interested user 
So yeah, I I have just been able to run one of one of your uh, tests today uh, with the Tornado VM, and I got a I think 1100x speed up on one of the cases here. So that was pretty pretty impressive. And I'm Eric Koslo. I'm on the Azul product management team, uh, and I focus on the intersection of Java and security of how do we make our applications run fast and how do we defend them against modern threats. All right. Now, we've had a couple Fuji articles about Tornado VM. One in particular talks about the role of hardware acceleration for Tornado VM. And, Jakob, how you got what you introduced as the about, was it 1100%? That's pretty significant. Who wants to go through and just summarize what we talk about in the Fuji article about how Tornado VM works and when and where you use it? Sure, absolutely. So let me summarize uh, Tornado VM. In a nutshell, it is an open source software uh, plugin to different JVM distributions that unlocks hardware acceleration on multi-core CPUs, as you said, GPUs and FPGAs. The main objective of Tornado VM, it is that the hardware acceleration was not by, by design included in the JVM. Therefore, we wanted to add it in a programmer-friendly way. And we have... Uh, many different uh, features exposed in Tornado VM. So we support portability across different hardware vendors, portability across different hardware device types like uh, multi-core CPUs, GPUs, and FPGAs, and also uh, through the interoperability with uh, Graal VM, we can uh, accelerate, we can invoke from different programming languages that are implemented on top of Truffle, the Java accelerated code. So how exactly does that work? We have a a normal Java application that we run, probably something that's got to be a little more advanced than Hello World. But let's say I just took something like Apache Cassandra and I drop it into Tornado VM. Does it automatically offload onto GPUs or do programs need to be rewritten to indicate which portion goes onto the GPU? In general, the way that Tornado VM will be integrated either in some user code or in another platform like a Cassandra or Apache Flink that we have done already the integration, um, it differs. Essentially, acceleration of on GPUs or FPGAs is not always um, successful, meaning that these kind of devices, they are very good at particular types of workloads. So there is some help needed by the developers in order to identify which parts of uh, their application can actually benefit from uh, hardware acceleration. Therefore, we have this type of different devices because each one of them is really good at a specific task. Now, if somebody starts from scratch an application or they have their own application uh, with their own libraries, the idea it is to use the APIs provided by Tornado VM in order to offload their preferred tasks on the accelerators. If we want to integrate a larger framework like a Cassandra or um, Apache Flink or Apache Spark with Tornado VM, then the story becomes a little bit more uh, complicated because this integration normally uh, happens at the systemic level. The idea for Tornado VM is that developers shouldn't care too much about what's happening uh, underneath. The same way that the JVM or the Java programming language was created with we write once and we run everywhere. In the same spirit, we also try to carry it uh, through this kind of, let's say, new uh, accelerators. So 
A developer of Cassandra, for example, which is used to using the APIs of Cassandra, ideally should uh, get this acceleration uh, out of the box without even noticing that Tornado VM uh, is working uh, underneath. So for this kind of large-scale systems, normally what we do, we go inside and we do the integration under the hood. Um, so developers will keep using their APIs as they used to. Now, for applications that or frameworks that we have never seen uh, before, this is user code, then a developer can actually use our APIs uh, to create their applications from scratch. All right. Now, I don't know very much about GPUs. Most of what I know how to do is to play a game, which means that I have the right driver installed and I just open something up like Minecraft, where you can do redstone programming um, because it's written in Java and is a great game. Um, so when you talk about Java developers being able to drop their program onto a GPU and Tornado VM kind of figures it out, first, what's the limit that your average developer should know about um, knowing what loads on certain GPUs so that we can just get a feel for it? And then what's some of the more detailed information that they probably shouldn't have to know? Yeah, so that's a that's a great question. So we try to hide in the Tornado side as much as possible, as much as complexity as possible from the GPU programming side. So you mentioned that for, for video games, for example, you just need a driver. For programming more than video games, you also need an, an actual implementation like CUDA or OpenCL. And Tornado actually makes use of those implementations. In fact, there are actually already three backends so uh, from the programming side, we tackle the, well, we have been thinking about programmability for quite a long uh, time already. And we think to just use Tornado as simple as possible in the sense that we used to program, okay, sequentially, sequential programs. And we want to do is to add minimal information to the sequential program in order to be able for that Tornado compiler or any other compiler to parallelize application, to transform that sequential code into parallel code. For example, from Java sequential code to OpenCL or CUDA code. And then Tornado will handle this transformation, those optimizations, data manipulation, buffer creation, kernel uh, execution, etc. for you. In the case of Minecraft, for example, if you have this code based in Minecraft and uh, let's say you want to do some, I don't know, some ray tracing, for example, let's say, and I, I, I'm aware now that Minecraft uh, um, supports add-ons to do, uh, to have ray tracers uh, in OpenGL. So in a scenario where somebody would integrate a little VM uh, with Minecraft, then um, we shouldn't have to write these OpenGL functions. The Minecraft code base should still stay in Java and use Tornado VM to program those uh, functionality. Um, we have projects uh, within uh, our team where we actually have implemented a ray tracer in Java, a single threaded ray tracer in Java, accelerated with Tornado VM, where we can get uh, real time over 60 FPS of performance. So if Minecraft wants to do the investment and keep the whole um, stack in, Java, in the Java ecosystem uh, with all the benefits, uh, that this can bring, then anybody that would write, let's say, um, some CPU kernels in OpenGL or OpenCL or CUDA and plug them to Minecraft, now they can write them in Java, which is easier, and Tornado VM will do the heavy lifting of accelerating those uh, on the GPU. 
All right. So one of the things that I do know about GPUs is they do a lot of um, really multi-threaded applications. So whereas a CPU might have, you know, eight cores, 32 cores or, or some number, the GPUs seem to have like thousands of them. So what are the the real differences between a, a thread, as I would think about it from a CPU programming and a, a thread, as I would perceive, however, a GPU parallelizes it? From the GPU perspective, when we call thread, it, 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 it is like a, a lightweight thread uh, in the, on the GPU. Uh, we prefer to call it uh, instruction streams because actually they are correctly executed in a stream fashion, like in lockstep. It's a bit uh, unusual if you're coming from the CPU side, how these are programmed. I can give you an example. So let's say we want to operate with a two arrays. We want to sum up two arrays, okay, A plus B. So the way to do it on the CPU, let's say we use C or we use Java, multi-threaded, we split, let's say we have, I don't know, eight cores or 32 cores. Uh, we give a, each core a portion of the work to do. And that could work, right? That can work. On the GPU side, we prefer to do in another way. So we have specified the work to be done per thread. And then we just, at, when we launch those kernels, we just call multiple instances of that kernel. And we map the input space, the iteration space of the, the input size with the number of threads to be deployed. For example, if we are uh, running an application that has input size of 1 million elements, we will launch 1 million threads. Obviously, we might not have the resources to run all of them in parallel, but the GPU driver and the GPU hardware will take care of splitting these 1 million in smaller blocks in order to run as efficient as possible. Okay, so Jakob, what are some of the workloads that you put onto Tornado VM? Like as somebody who uses it rather than than works on it, you have your choice of when do I reach for a regular JVM and when do I reach for Tornado VM? And how do you really go about making that decision? To be honest, at the moment, I haven't gotten any further than trying out some of the samples that come with the Tornado VM. But the kinds of workloads that I would be looking for are definitely uh, data-oriented types of, of workloads where you have to scan through a large arrays of, of data typically stored in memory or stored sequentially on disk. So you load them in really quickly, you pass them on to the GPU, and, and, and the GPU can uh, do its calculations really quickly. So those are the kinds of uh, workloads that I'm, I'm looking, uh, looking to run with, the, with Tornado VM. I'm not sure if you mentioned, but like one of the things that I found interesting as well is that it's not just the GPU that it can run on, but like you also just parallelize on whatever idle or not idle necessarily, but like CPU cores, right? So one of the other things that I'm looking, uh, that I'm hoping one day will be possible with Tornado VM is a lot of desktop computers today come with at least two graphics cards, right? One built in and then an extra one. And I'm hoping one day it's possible to, to use um, Tornado VM for like desktop type applications. But at the moment, I think the installation process is maybe maybe needs a little bit poly, or like how do you say streamlining or whatever for, for that to be possible. But it, it, this is one of the things that I think would be really cool to couple it with the JavaFX, and then we could see some really high powered uh, Java desktop applications. 
In terms of those desktop applications, a lot of people have Mac. Um, you've got either the M1 or M2. Um, and Thanos, you wrote um, a recent article on Fuji just talking about some of the test benchmarks of Tornado VM. And I think you saw something um, on your M1 MacBook, what, like a 738 times uh, performance increase or something just really, really high. So can you talk a little bit about that and what you see? This was uh, an implementation of uh, the matrix multiplication. In fact, it was an implementation using the Tornado VM APIs. By that time, I was using also the x86 binary of uh, the JVM built on my M1 arm uh, that was going through the binary translation to run on the system. I was uh, impressed because it was the first time that I tried Tornado VM on the M1 and it was quite straightforward. The things that we had to adjust in Tornado VM was just uh, some things in the drivers. Because we have seen also that Apple is deprecating the support of OpenCL, I was a bit uh, skeptical when I was trying that. But uh, finally, it was supported. And I saw that all our unit tests that they were running on my previous MacBook, they were running also on the M1. It was uh, very interesting to see that uh, with Tornado VM, we can unlock this high uh, performance, as you said, with the speed up that I got, compared to a single-threaded Java application that was running on uh, the MacBook. But it's also more interesting to to find um, uh, other things, like, for example, the energy efficiency of these implementations, because we're talking about the ARM. But this is something that is ongoing on our team to enhance Tornado VM with this energy efficiency fun- functionality. All right. Now, a lot of the data intensive workloads that we have, like we talked about uh, Tornado VM being really good for computation based. And when we have to go with huge amounts of memory and huge amounts of data, the majority of us are going to the cloud with like AWS or Azure or GCP, um, where you just buy like an EC2 instance. So what are you doing for Tornado VM um, instances up in the cloud? Like, are you buying the same workload types or how are you handling that? The, the workload types and the trying to find uh, the applications or the use cases for Tornado VM, it's actually one of the, the hardest parts that we are working at the moment. Uh, because Java is so ubiquitous and has been used throughout the, the years for many different domains, uh, from server development to desktop uh, uh, development, it's always, I wouldn't say tricky, but it's always uh, very unique in the way that the developers try to approach uh, different kind of problems by using the same programming language. So the expectations, or at least the workloads that they want to run, and everything that comes with it, for example, data sizes, uh, computational intensity, and the where Tornado can fit inside uh, and help the developers, uh, it's actually one of the challenges we have uh, as technology developers uh, in order to find this sweet spot which is the sweet spot for a specific, let's say, a group of developers that they develop either with JavaFX or they run through uh, another framework on the cloud uh, for some heavy-duty uh, computation in order to accommodate all, let's say. This, this is our wishful thinking. For us, it doesn't matter if it's like a, a MacBook Pro or uh, a cloud instance. Our objective is one. If you have a GPU or an FPGA that can, that can unlock your 10x, 100x, we want to give it to the developer. Now, the question is how it's easier for the developer to actually use our system in order to achieve those speed ups 
this is an ongoing uh, process and we engage also with developers to try to learn more what are the workloads and how they use them in their uh, framework uh, in order to do some changes in the API or even uh, add some features that are really important for the specific uh, workload. So to turn the VM now, it can be used on any laptop, download it, or even we have uh, Docker images and also we have tested on Amazon Cloud that have GPUs and FPGAs. So we know that Tornado VM can run on these platforms and um, well, developers, how developers will uh, utilize uh, Tornado VM inside the ecosystem in this complex uh, application. This is a, a discovery phase for us and it, it differs a little bit from traditional C or C++ developers in a way that when CUDA or OpenCL came, they were very similar in how to use them, like I said, C++ code, or even it was very natural for developers of C to call a CUDA kernel. In the Java world, it's a bit different uh, because Java virtual machine uh, has the campus collector, the memory management, and developers normally don't worry about those kind of things. So if you want to harness a GPU, we don't want developers to reason about where this buffer will go, how the garbage collector will treat it, is it going to check fault, I'm going to have double pointers, or how to have consistency, uh, how my for loops should be constructed. And this is something that um, um, we have been iterating a lot. For example, in our latest version of Torrento VM, we have refactored significantly the API uh, because we found out that um, the original API was a little bit confusing for developers in order to uh, distinguish the notions of uh, computation and data management, data movement between the different accelerators. So this is a working progress for us also to uh, find out these this answers. Got it. So we're talking about the API that developers interact with to run better on um, Tornado VM, or maybe I recognize that I have that data intensive processing. What is the API and what should I know about how to structure my application? Like, is it annotation based? Is it inheritance based? Like, if I want to write something to run really well on Tornado, what code paths or API do I interact with and what should I know? As Christos mentioned, we refactor quite a bit the, the APIs in the latest release. And we have been thinking quite a lot about this for a long time. So one of the questions we ask in order to have a parallel application, not just for Tornado, but in general, is first of all, how do we represent parallelism? So in the case of Java and in the case of Tornado, we have two options. One of them is through annotations. So we, we instrument or we instruct code somehow with annotations to give the compiler some hints about how to parallelize things, how to parallelize loops. That is the most expensive part. Uh, so one way in Tornado is through annotations, and then the other way is through what we call a kernel API. The difference is that the annotations, as we, I mentioned, as we mentioned at the beginning, is that we annotate code, that Java code that is sequential, we annotate sequential code. This is similar to, for example, OpenMP or OpenACC models for C, C++, and Fortran. And uh, this is nice because we don't have to reason about how to parallelize things that much. We can express our computation in a sequential manner, and the, turn, and the compiler will do the magic. Somehow, we'll do the best to map it. But this is qu sometimes could be a qu quite limited. So we opened recently another way to express parallelization, what we call the kernel API. And this kernel API is a very 
similar. Actually, we borrow terms from lower level, lower level models like OpenCL and CUDA, and you express kernels in a very similar way. So instead of a notation of loops, we express the work to be done per single thread. And then we would, what we do is to launch hundreds or millions of threads on the GPU. This is the problem of how to identify parallelization. Then we have a second problem that, okay, we annotate loops, for example, uh, at the method level, or we express kernels with the kernel API, but we do this only at the method level. So we compile at the method level, and that's where we'll constitute our kernel. And the second part is, okay, along all these methods that I have from Java, okay, from different classes could be, which ones I want to offload. Okay. So the first problem was about how to identify parallelization and how to provide parallel kernels. And this problem now is how I select different kernels to be offloaded. And we do this through what we call a task graph. So basically it's a data structure that Tornado provides. It's very easy to use. And you can build graph and you attach data and go, yeah. So as the engineer who's writing my application, I should know the task graph because that's how I structure out my work to be done. Exactly, exactly. So basically a task graph is just how data flow is flowing across different methods that you want to call and offload. Can I just return uh, for a short moment to um, using Tornado VM in the cloud? Because my day job is as an AWS solution architect. I would like to to try running Tornado VM in, in an AWS Lambda in a serverless execution environment. And I know that the AWS Lambda can run Docker containers. And as far as I remember, there's a Docker container with Tornado VM uh, packaged inside of it. And I also know or remember that um, with AWS Lambdas, when you make them a little bit bigger, you also get some virtual CPUs. And if you want to use those virtual CPUs for parallelizing work, you will have to do it like manually in threads, but it, it would be nicer just to be able to let um, Tornado VM utilize those uh, extra virtual CPUs. It's getting especially interesting since I think the last AWS reInvent where Amazon launched this snap start. So now the Lambdas, Java Lambdas will have a very low code start. So. Java is really becoming a first-class citizen in, in the Lambda world now. Since I'm a part of Azul, I got to talk about Crack, which is the core that uh, Snapstart is based on. I got to share the the enjoyment for the OpenJDK Crack project. Um, do you really, like when you run on Lambdas, do you get to use much GPU? Like I have no idea what um, CPU instance or anything that Lambdas even run on. There are no GPUs or, or FPGAs available through uh, Lambda, but you, you get the extra virtual CPUs. And I was wondering if it was possible to, to uh, have uh, Tornado VM utilize them someday. I have no experience on Amazon Lambda, to be honest, so I'll be cautious with my comment now. But if those instances support OpenCL or any other compatible model, we should be able to run, right? For example, yesterday we did a quick test for one of our projects. We plug in uh, port, uh, an open source implementation for OpenCL running with P threads on the CPU in a Docker image. So that, that was that was fun. Uh, we could do this. So I have no idea about Amazon instances, uh, um, but yeah, something we can try. CPUs are a little bit um, under discussed in the context of Tornado VM. Normally, people think Tornado VM and they automatically think uh, CPUs or FPGAs. Um, but the matter of fact is that. Since we compile uh, Java bytecodes to an underlying 
representation for parallelism like OpenCL or, or PTX for CUDA or SPRV. Essentially, any CPU that supports those drivers, like OpenCL drivers for, for CPU, through the network VM, they can also get the parallelization. Right, so if you have a, a loop and you annotate it and you run through the tornado, the tornado will parallelize for the eight uh, CPU cores that you might have. And on top of that, uh, those drivers they also apply automatic auto vectorization. So if, even if you don't have a GPU and you you have a, a parallel for loop, or I don't know if it's on a cloud or a desktop, and you have a parallelism and you run through tornado. Uh, the performance that we get normally, it is even higher than Java threading because we stack up both the uh, parallelization plus the auto-vectorization that some of these drivers can give you. Your starting point, again, it is a serial for loop with an annotation. So going back to uh, Jacob's question, if you have a Lambda, again, we have never uh, played with Lambdas, but if you have a Lambda on an Amazon instance with some visual CPUs, and there is, for example, an OpenCell driver installed on that instance, Tornado should work out of the box, for example. Cool. So I, I got the um, AWS ECS um, guide up here that talks about a bunch of instance types um, where you've got you know your P3, your G3. Um, looking at each of these, which of these AWS instance types do you look at and just think, wow, I want to run on that. It would be really hard to max this whole thing out. Like I see a P2 16X large has 16 GPUs with 192 gigs of memory and a P4D 24X large has eight GPUs and 320 gigs of GPU memory. Like which of these just feels the coolest for you? The largest, for sure. I, think I would say the maximum, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. We, what we're trying to get big numbers, that, that, that's a fact. So uh, as soon as we start a uh, you know, Teraflop um, territory, we're always uh, um, uh, very happy. But in general, it's, it's a trade-off. So um, you may have a very huge GPU, but you may be never be able to utilize it uh, because it all depends on your workload and your data set. And we have done uh, research that proves that in some cases it's obvious you go for the highest GPU, highest memory, because this is what you need. But sometimes the the winner, and I'm quoting the word winner because this depends on the SLAs of the application, they're a little bit uh, in a gray area. So you have the same kernel, you adjust a little bit uh, up and down your data volume, and then the CPU can outperform the GPU because you always have data transfers between the devices that you have to account. So, but there are a lot of fun. If you have acceleration, the, the bigger the better for us. We somehow uh, overpass integrated GPUs. Same with the CPU. Also many CPU systems, for example, my laptop has uh, this Intel CPU and has an Intel integrated GPU. It's not that big, that fancy compared to the NVIDIA one, but it's usable. And Tornado can use, can use it in, in a transparent manner. The thing is, there are some type of applications, because we share memory, that because we don't have to you know, perform these data transfers back and forth, uh, it's worth uh, executing on that GPU. can give you a higher performance than the, the, the discrete GPU. 
Talking about those GPUs, you know, you mentioned a couple of the the languages, and I know a lot of software engineers, you can kind of flip between different languages. Like, yes, people can write Java. Sometimes maybe they'll flip over to a node, then maybe they'll jump over to Python. But in the GPU space, you've got like OpenCL, you've got CUDA, and just what's the difficulty associated with writing a direct OpenCL or CUDA program? Like, since you guys know how to write them, how hard is that? Is that like something that normal people do? Or is that something where it's like, ooh, I, I shouldn't invest time in kind of learning that unless I really am interested? I myself, I am very fun of CUDA. So that's the first language, uh, GPU language I, I, I learned. Then I swapped to OpenCL. I like that you differentiate GPU language from regular language. GPU supports a subset of what we call a language, right? It's not doesn't support a whole C uh, program or C++ program. Programming for GPUs is an optimization problem. And as any other optimization problem, you need to know architecture details. And GPUs are different from CPUs. So I can give you a very easy example, reductions. So let's imagine that we have an array, a plain array, and we have we want to perform a reduction, sum all the values. So from an array, my input, the output is a scalar value. Now, I want to run this reduction on C, right? Or just Java. I just write a for loop and just some elements. But now, so the GPU or any other highly powered programming language, now reductions depend on values computed from the previous iteration. So to perform a full reduction, I should restructure my algorithms quite a bit. And to put things even worse. So data is not shared with all elements in the GPU. So we need to be careful. So we need to split data in smaller chunks and it's only shared in smaller chunks. And we need to know which processors contains that data. To put things even worse, cache is not coherent. So if we want access to the right, to the right value, we need to guarantee put a variable to synchronize all elements. And this is just for a simple reduction, right? It's fun to do it. You can do many you know, type of reductions and so on, but Tornado or frameworks like Tornado can do everything automatic for you. Got it. So I feel like people can kind of pick Java up and you can go from like zero to like, yeah, I'm familiar with that. I did it in a weekend, a week or some kind of short time. Um, it feels like I'm not going to become super proficient at like CUDA programming uh, on a Saturday. It depends of, of the background. So if you are used to GPU programming for a while, uh, those terms sound familiar already for you, right? So having a ke- CUDA kernel and then going to OpenCL or one API, the latest from Intel, is similar, right? If you are starting fresh, you need to catch up with a lot of new terminology, not just the programming side, but also the architecture side. And that could be one of Got the it. obstacles to face GPU programming in general. And if you target FPGAs, then it becomes more complex oh. also. <laughs> Because FPGAs are way different. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't even want to approach that as a regular person. <laughs> even yeah. just um, if we return to these um, potential use cases for desktop applications, as far as I can see, in the next generation of Intel CPUs, we get a lot more efficiency cores for free, uh, even in the even in the small CPU lines. Uh, so. It would be really nice to be able to just use utilize them as well, uh, semi-transparently with uh, Tornado VM. And like my impression of the API so far is that it seems reasonably um, easy to approach. Like you say, Eric, uh, it's probably something you can get the hang of in a weekend or so. 
the API and the, and the annotations for yeah, Tornado for, VM. For the Java side, I feel like yeah, I exactly. could write a Tornado VM application in a weekend, but I feel like if I had to learn all the intricacies of a GPU to program directly on CUDA or OpenCL, like, boy, I better clear my calendar for that. Well, to, to be fair, just to clarify, so uh, those models, CUDA and OpenCL, usually offer libraries. So many people approach first by using libraries. CUDA has these many libraries for deep learning, machine learning, etc. Uh, one of them for array compute is called Thrust, CUDA Thrust. And that's the way to go, but similar to Intel One API or OpenCL. So the way it should be through libraries. Then as soon as yeah. you require more expertise or you know, do more fancy things, you can tune low-level kernels directly. Yeah, I, I kind of like the approach that Tornado VM is taking, though, because I can write the Java code and I can have the Java code work well. You know, we got the write once, run everywhere thing. So you got write once, now run on GPUs. I feel like if you go straight to CUDA, you've got like write once and then you switch your CPU and you have write again. Exactly. And also the deployment is a problem because you have to Ouch. bundle these libraries inside your Java code and, and ship them. And as you said, as soon as you change the hardware, Okay, CUDA per se has a vendor locking. So if you go CUDA, then you are locked in NVIDIA. Let's say you go on Open, OpenCL to have more, let's say, variety uh, of devices. Looking back, using what you're talking about with the, the difference between like an AMD and an Intel, when I looked at that AWS sheet there where they say, here's what you can buy, they told me the number of GPUs. They don't say, is it an Intel GPU? Is it an AMD GPU? So I could probably figure that out, but I feel like if I code and I choose the wrong one or I choose the right one and then it gets changed, that seems problematic if I'm having to go direct. Definitely. And I think if we see the industry now, both MD with Xilinx acquisition, they're trying to create their own unified programming models and Intel also with their own lineups, they try to create their own programming models. And what all of them have in common is that they're trying to create the singularity, this single API, which is very good for developers. And then uh, the vendors will optimize underneath. So there are many initiatives uh, from Kronos Group or One API that they're trying to bring, even in the non-Java world, all these companies together. Um, to help developers to harness uh, this kind of um, accelerators uh, easily. So it shouldn't matter if it's going to be an AMD GPU or an, or, or an Intel GPU or an NVIDIA GPU. The same way, for example, now, at least for us, uh, for the Java people, uh, the JVM guarantees that if you run on an Intel GPU, you're going to get very good performance if you run on an AMD CPU. And the reason for that, because Intel and AMD or ARM, they do the intrinsics at the compiler level and they optimize the platform for this kind of architecture. And I think this is, this is a good thing to have as, as a community, this uh, safety that the JVM is optimized for all platforms available. Yeah, just to complement what Christos mentioned, is, is really a good point. Even if we go to the root of a pure OpenCL, OpenCL is a standard. It's maintained by Kronos Group. It's a consortium of many companies and institutions. And they agree on the APIs and each vendor can implement the API. So what you can have is your OpenCL program running on Intel and tomorrow running on AMD or any other vendor from different companies and the code will run. So they guarantee functionality portability, let's say, but performance portability is another thing, right? That means that maybe you have performance for one platform, but achieving performance for another platform is very difficult. Tools with Tornado, we have a lot of work. We have spent a lot of time, a lot of work tuning the JIT compiler to 
try to you know work on the performance portability side, especially on the FGAs. Yes, and I have tried as a person that I have tried the Tornado VM on the AWS instances. Uh, I have uh, installed Tornado VM the the software both on instances that they have AMD and NVIDIA GPUs. And uh, I have seen that you need also to install the drivers, although there is a in guidelines from AWS regarding finding the correct uh, drivers to install. But regarding the installation of Tornado VM, it is similar and uh, smooth, especially on uh, Linux systems with the automatic uh, installer script that we have uh, online. Also the same stance also for the FPGA instances that we have tried, which is the F1 instances. But coming back also to the previous question, we haven't tried on the instances that they have multiple GPUs. And uh, the reason is that uh, we couldn't afford one. They couldn't uh, give us the access to these kind of instances. Yeah, that's the downside of being in the university. Exactly. Got it. The university doesn't just uh, spin up cloud resources and then leave them alone like a lot of companies <laughs> do and forget about them. We have some credits, which is good for research, but the credits uh, were not enough for the research part to to give us you know, the access to the huge <laughs> instances that they have, uh, the multiple GPUs, which is yeah, something but... interesting that we are also very interested in. We have done some work to concurrently access the devices at the same time. Given the number yeah. of GPUs that some of those systems have, you guys could probably team up with a group that needs to heat a building. <laughs> True, we do that. And in, in the future that we have in mind, yeah, that, that's, <laughs> that this is this is the, the goal. If GPU programming, especially now with AI and machine learning, uh, GPUs are a key player into this kind of uh, workloads. And uh, Java to get a foothold in this kind of this ecosystem, because now, for example, PyTorch and this kind of frameworks are more widely used. And GPU becomes part of the equation for the Java virtual machine. This is our objective, how to help developers in Java do their uh, stuff. And in that moment, with so many billions of Java developers, we're going to be able to hit a lot of buildings with another game. Yeah, I've actually seen the chat GPT guys talk about, you know, however many GPUs they have. And those guys talk about GPUs a lot. And, you know, now that Java code can run on GPUs, you know, what's going on in that space? Like, why are the chat GPT guys always talking about GPUs? And, you know, if Java has Tornado VM, like, what does that bring to us? That's a very good question. And I think we, now we're going to a philosophical discussions about the, the, this future. The truth is that I don't know how... That GPT does it internally, uh, but the majority of the machine learning frameworks and AI frameworks are being used. Uh, they're using under the hood um, optimized libraries for training the models uh, from NVIDIA or from Intel. Uh, for example, they use a 1DNN or CUDA DNN and this kind of libraries. And normally, in front of these libraries, which are, let's say, binaries or these implementations, they have some um, APIs like PyTorch to actually uh, allow developers to experiment um, uh, very, very fast. And um, in the Java world, there are frameworks for deep learning that they follow the same path. For example, there's a Java API that can call a kernel being uh, implemented through a CUDA library uh, to run on, on a GPU. And this way of programming machine learning models or AI through a Java doesn't differ at all, I would say, in terms of capabilities from the GPU perspective. Of course, the more APIs we have, the more um, capable our system becomes. Our vision is that since the GPUs are not, or at least access on GPUs, is not yet formalized within the Java virtual machine, 
uh, and steps are being taken now through Project Panama and this kind of new projects on how to formalize uh, foreign functions, uh, which can actually help immensely um, this kind of formalization of, of calling these kernels. Um, we believe that Tornado VM can play a, a very key role into using our experience and, uh, let's say, our uh, software in order to create such systems that it could be used in a machine learning and AI world within the Java ecosystem. So the same way we have a collection API in Java, uh, to have a machine learning API uh, that under the hood uses Tornado VM to get uh, out of the box this GPU acceleration. Yeah, so Panama is one of the OpenJDK projects. Can you just give a rundown of what Panama is and why it matters to the work that you're doing in Tornado VM? And to be honest, um, we're not experts in Panama. To our understanding, it has uh, the objective of uh, creating these foreign functions. So I would say like a replacement for JNI and also to formalize uh, how to do um, memory, memory allocation of heap. So going back to the problem, or at least one of the challenges that a JavaScript machine has compared to other programming paradigms when it comes to GPU acceleration. In Java, since we have a campus collector, the users are used to creating a new object or a new array, and this array will go into the heap, and the campus collector will take care of it. In C++, no, so we have to manually allocate the, uh, the data. So the developers know that they are responsible of doing this manually. So when you run on the GPU in that concept, you're also responsible of creating this memory and copying the data from the CPU side to the GPU side. Let's assume that we do the same uh, in Java, which we do with Tornado VM. What happens if the garbage collector hits when uh, the data are on the GPU? Uh, the garbage collector will move the data in the, in the host side, on the CPU side. The GPU will never find out because there's no way to find out what's happening on the CPU. And when the execution finishes, it will go back to update the data in the pointer. The pointer will be gone, and then you're going to check fault. Interesting. So if I can kind of paraphrase that just to make sure I understand it, yeah. there's without like a Panama or without the ability to reference memory, there could be a situation where the, the CPU garbage collector walks around and says, I can clean that up. But later on, the GPU comes by and says, where is that? Exactly. So, so what Panama does, it is it formalizes how to allocate memory outside the heap. Before Panama, it was unsafe operations. So you were calling the unsafe library to do it manually, and which has some risks. Now with Panama, since you can allocate data off heap, let's say in a formal way through memory segments. Now the idea comes. Okay, if I know as a Java developer that I can actually do um, GPU acceleration then I could directly allocate this data off heap to solve the campus collection problem, right? Since I know that this is going to be big arrays for acceleration and compute, there is no point of having them into the heap. So I can use Panama, allocate them off heap, and then I'm responsible for that. And as soon as you have Panama as the baseline for that, then you can start building libraries on top of Panama of a, a whole collection of uh, data structures that can be off heap. And this can really uh, improve performance for specific workloads that um, they require a lot of uh, GPU acceleration. Hence, uh, you want to get the garbage collector out of the way of making your, pro your life more difficult. Yeah, also with Panama, we can combine the type of buffer with the, some of the optimized GPU buffer transfer modes. For example, we can do pin memory between the GPU and the CPU, or we can do automatic, uh, you know, a unified memory, use the unified memory, and the, the driver will take care of migration if needed. 
back and forth, things like that. Or you directly share memory for uh, integrated GPUs. But that's kind of orthogonal to having Panama. So Panama will give us the possibility to exploit all these combinations in a more standardized way. Yeah, and, and this is one of the main challenges that, in our opinion, uh, this kind of acceleration, or at least using these hardware accelerators, has been a problem, or at least a very big challenge on the TPUs, because these problems, they require the whole community to come together and think of a solution. Like how to design a garbage collector that can tackle uh, data or trace data on the GPU side. Even technically, this is very hard to do now uh, because you need a unified memory, uh, which is something fairly new and not, let's say, proven yet. And we are doing part of us, we're doing research in this direction and provide feedback uh, to the community on how that future would look like. Let me also complement that uh, when we allocate memory on heap and we jump into the GPU for execution, then the GC is uh, frozen, so it will not perform an actual collection. Otherwise, we would seek fault every time that we run currently with Tornado VM. Yes, to be more technical, we do a critical section on the GNI side, just to guarantee that part. All right, so that, that's some cool stuff. Um, I know you guys just had a release in um, February where you rolled out things like the task graph and some annotations. Um, so what are some things that people should do if they want to try out Tornado VM? The first thing to do is maybe to try the example suite that Tornado has. That's actually the path that some of the potential Tornado users have taken already. So we have a suite of different applications, including applications for fintech or typical things for machine learning and different domains uh, like physics, DFT stuff. And people try, okay, this matches kind of the computation I would like to see, I would like to do. And then from there, they try the examples that they study the code and so on. Uh, I will say that's the first thing to do. And then depends on the background of, uh, of every person, right? So. I mean, we have people coming from different backgrounds, and that's the thing. We we try to, you know, combine them all. We have had people or developers coming from GPU, pure GPU uh, domain. So that's why we have uh, these kernel APIs. And we have people that are coming from uh, the, the pure Java side without any GPU background. Got it. So if I were just a developer taking a peek at Tornado VM, instead of me going and saying, how should I rewrite my program to run really well on Tornado VM? I take a peek at the samples. I run the samples on a CPU. I run the samples on a GPU. I look at the difference. And then I start taking a look and saying, well, what's different about these? And now that I know what's different, once I know it, that's when I start saying, how do I write for Tornado VM? Yes, and in fact, uh, since the latest release, we have a new documentation site where uh, we document all the programming model of Tornado VM, and we give some um, introduction how of the main features of Tornado VM, how to install it, how to run the examples, as you said, uh, how to try the test cases, the Tornado VM profiler, and other core things. Yeah, and one last addition of that, the most important is to tell us when it breaks, so to try to improve it. And uh, secondly, as we know that uh, Tornado VM doesn't support the full Java feature set uh, because it's, uh, it's not because of Tornado VM, it's because the GPU, for example, has some limitations like performance system calls and stuff like that. 
So there is a list of things that don't support it by Torrent VM. So of course, when we run our application, we have to make sure that we don't use this kind of uh, features. Are, and are there any major APIs that people should be aware of to say, oh, I shouldn't do this on uh, a GPU? Like it sounds like process builder or runtime.exec. We haven't narrowed down specifically for, for APIs, but general uh, reflection. So anything that requires reflection because you need access to the uh, class uh, pointers, which uh, they're not, they don't exist in uh, a GPU or system calls that they need OS support. These are, in my opinion, the two main features that cannot be executed on the, on the GPU. And there are some other smaller ones, but I think reflection and um, system calls are the most important. Okay. And most of the data processing, um, they don't use that. So exactly. I think that's, that's good. Good. Also worth mentioning, we have some features that usually, I mean, <laughs> historically are not supported on GPUs, but Tornado can support it. And this is because the JIT compiler, for example, GPUs don't support dynamic memory allocation, but sometimes in Tornado, we can do that because we compile a runtime and we know more information about the actual application. So it kind of, I'm not saying Tornado does support a dynamic allocation. I'm saying that because of the compilation nature of Tornado, because of a runtime, it can give the illusion to the programmer that some things are supported on top of what OpenCL can give you. Tornado VM is extends the Grand Compiler, and the Grand Compiler is very well known for its very aggressive and very good escape analysis. So although you cannot allocate an object in memory of the GPU, uh, because Graal uh, is very good at uh, replacing objects with scalars, sometimes the developer believes that there is no object being allocated, but because we use Graal, this object disappears, and we still can run code that uh, visually looks like that's an object allocation, but in reality, it just uh, has been uh, replaced by, by, by scalars. Um, and uh, just to complement the last one, um, sometimes uh, it might get a little bit uh, intimidating for developers how to transition the code from the pure Java to the GPU tornado style of Java uh, requires some getting used to it. Um, we are working to improve our tools in order to uh, guideline developers towards that. This kind of tools have been existing on for, let's say, CSC++ for many years, like Intel Vision, um, where you can actually get even advice on how to optimize it. So we are working to provide something similar for Tornado VM and for everybody that wants to use uh, um, acceleration through Tornado VM. So what are your advice to developers who want to take a look at their applications and um, just figure out where um, Tornado VM is a good candidate? We welcome developers to try Tornado in order to find out if Tornado can help them. They can just look if they have threading into their application. If there is multi-processing multi or multi-threading in their application and they're already using Java threads, um, that's a very good starting point or indication that they can get high performance with Tornado VM. Try to analyze first application, if it's memory bound or compute bound. If it's compute bound and you need more compute power to process faster, that's a good candidate. Having enough threads to run. So in rule of thumb, don't go to a GPU just to launch 10 threads. So go to a GPU to launch 100 or 1,000 threads. Right? Uh, that's another good candidate. Another factor is also the data sizes, because as we have seen, it doesn't make sense to go to a GPU for an array that has 16 elements, because you will pay the overhead to transfer the data, and this will penalize performance. All right. Well, thank you very much to all of the guests, and thank you all for listening. And please keep an eye on Fuji for future articles about development and everything related to the Java world. Give me a Fuji!
Give me a J. Give me the friends of OpenJDK.